Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of the Tucson Hockey Podcast. And as always, the Tucson Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Danny Platner and Altitude Home Loans. He's a good friend of the program, and he runs the adult league. So if you have any mortgage or refinance needs, please take a look at his website, dannyplatner.com. And you can also call him at 520-241-1428. He is a vice president and senior loan officer with Altitude Home Loans, and they are an equal housing lender. All right. Joining me today on our third of four division preview podcast episodes are two friends of mine, also colleagues, as well as attorneys themselves. So we will definitely litigate probably since they're Red Wing in Boston and Buffalo runs deep with all three of us here. We're probably going to litigate way too much about where our own teams are going to finish, but that's part of the fun of this. I'm joined first by Rob Felrath. Lifelong Michigander and a big Red Wings fan. Rob, thanks for coming on today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Ryan. And my old colleague. I, I like that better than classmate because you know I don't like teammate. We were teammates, though. Teammates and roommates. It's true. It's true. Kevin Flavin joins me as well. Kevin, great to see Glad you to again. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on to shop it up. So this division last year, the Atlantic, scored a ton of points. You had big years from everybody really in the East because all teams had over 100 points. But specifically, when you look at the standings from last year, you had a monster number put on the board by Florida. You had a monster number put on the board. Sorry. As I look here from last year, as we go division by division, Florida goes 122. Toronto goes 115. Tampa goes back to the cup for the third time. They're the three seed in the Atlantic at 110. And then you have Boston at 107. Was this the thickest top four in the division that you can remember in your lifetimes? Kevin, I know you're 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 close to Paul's age. So I think you turned 40 this year. Yeah, in December. There's not talk about it's it. Coming up. Yeah, we'll leave that alone. Rob, you passed that milestone just a few years ago. We won't say how many. More than a few, but uh that's nice of you to say that. Uh, I, I will say this, that is the most robust top four I've seen in a division in my lifetime. I can recall some of the great Wings teams back in the 90s, but we would outpace pretty much everybody. And then St. Louis would be nipping at our heels. Some years they were better than others, but we were two, maybe there were three teams. If, you know, every now and again, Chicago would get their act together, but not, you know, nothing like this. Part of that is because, you know, you had Boston and Tampa who've been around, right? And then you had Florida and Toronto who've up-jumped a little bit. And, you know, they, they play offense and everybody except for Toronto plays defense, so. But how it goes is that those three teams all got worse, I would say. So Florida, even though they trade for Kachuk, they have to trade two very large pieces. You trade Huberdo, and you trade who I think was one of the most underrated players in the league last year, Mackenzie Weger. This guy, uh, Ekblad gets a lot of the talk there on their decor, and Barkov gets a lot of talk, and rightfully so. But really, the times when I watched Buffalo and Florida last year, or just Florida on their own, I thought Weger was their best player a lot of nights, and that's something that's come up here on the podcast. So you know, you get you get a guy like Kachuk, and he's he. You know what you're getting there, but I would say that they got a little bit worse. And you lose Trocheck to the Rangers, who was, you know, a big piece of that. And then you go to Tampa, and they've solidified their core, but you have to basically give away McDonough, let 
Jan Ruderwalk, you got to trade Andre Palat, and you didn't really bring in strong complementary pieces, even though your core's there. And then Toronto, I had uh, Dan Rosen from NHL Network, and we talked about my off-season free agency notes, which was just Toronto goaltending with about four exclamation points, question marks, and underlines. So I, I would say that this division is, is are you, are we ready? And Rob, I mean, you and I might have to abstain from this question being Buffalo and Detroit fans. Is the top four up for grabs in this division or is it going to shake out like it did last year? Kevin, I'll start with you as the, someone who was in the top four. Yeah, barely. Um, but no, I, you know, I think, I think that the top two in Toronto and Florida, I think that they're going to be where they're going to be. Um, Tampa and Boston, look, those teams are getting older. They're, uh, they're both going to sleepwalk through the season. And then if they get, you know, they're going to look for the puck to bounce the right way in the playoffs and then they get a real chance. So they just have to get through the regular season and then, then, you know, then they're real contenders. But if, if one of them does get kind of bounced by a Metro team, it's a different story. And Rob, deep down in places you don't want to talk about at parties, is this top four up for grabs or is it going to finish in some way, shape or form the same one through four as it did last year? The only way I see any of that top four changing, the numbers are going to change. I don't know if Florida's going to win it. Maybe Toronto does. Um, I don't see Tampa or Boston winning the division. But the only way I see that top four changing is if one of the one of Tampa or Boston get hit with a couple of just season-ending crucial injuries to some major players. I know Boston's dealing with some injuries right now, but my guess is they're probably going to be able to ride it out and, and squeak into the playoffs. They may do better than that. They've got a great new head coach uh, with Jim Montgomery. So I would be fairly optimistic if I was a Boston fan. I've had this because they're, they're hundred years old, right? And, and you've seen the same team for, I don't know, you know, eight, eight, nine years. They're the Jason Voorhees of the division. They refuse to die. Hey, look, if they, you know, it's it's very true, and, and they even come back from the dead like David Krejci. So, oh, uh, we'll we'll definitely have some Krejci talk when we get to the Bruins. But let me say this: with the improvement you have in Ottawa, in Detroit, with their signings, and with the improvement of the youth, Buffalo's youth improvement, Montreal kind of. You know, they played for the future a little bit, but they still picked up some pieces. They still picked up some players. Kirby Dock, Monaghan. Is this the best division in hockey? Well, top to bottom, yeah. I think the, the, the floor is the highest, right? Like, you know, aside from maybe Buffalo, there's not a lot of teams in the, in, in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes right now in that, in that division. Everybody's kind of middling to, to top tier is the way I see it. I suspect Montreal is not going to be real well situated by the end of the year. I think they're contenders for Bedard, and I think that's an intentional and very smart move on their part. Beyond Montreal, though, everybody else, I think it's a pretty solid division. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better division as far as overall depth. You know, the Obviously, the big question for the, you know for most of us in the division is who in the peloton of Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa is going to break out and try to you know uh, surpass Boston. I don't know if any of us does it. I my bet if I was a betting man, I would say probably not. But I think it's a real solid division from top to bottom. One more question before we start going alphabetically here: Is this a five-team playoff division, a four-team playoff division, or a three-team playoff division? 
say four, say four. I think it's like last year. Yeah, I think I think everybody holds firm. Yeah, I I had some hopes that Boston would age out, but you know when they brought back Krejci, they've got uh, some of the additions they've got. I I think they're going to stay in. I think it's going to be a four team division as well. I'll go out on a limb and I'll say five. I just think that you have some teams falling out of the mat, and I think one of these teams is going to strike some lightning here. Um, That's not even a pun. It's just (laughs) the lightning in the division. But so what? I don't count that as a pun. I just think that the Mets kind of a little bit overrated, even though uh, I had one of my coaches on to do that podcast. And as a host should, I talked them up like they were the best division in hockey back then. I don't know. I, I really don't have a lot of scientific basis for that. I just think that these teams are a little bit stronger than I, I think the bottom of the Mets is a little bit of a mirage, even though I do have homerism big time for Columbus. Mm-hmm. I think Washington's going to kind of falter a little bit and, you assume one of Washington or Pittsburgh is eventually going to fall I, off. I actually think Pittsburgh's stronger this year than Pittsburgh's they were last fine, year. I think, yeah, I think they're fantastic. But I agree on Washington. They're just going to chase. Ovechkin's just going to chase numbers. He's going to play thirty-seven minutes a night, take forty-two shots, and, and <laughs> the Ilya the Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with our. Team by team predictions and Kevin, we're going to start off with your guys, the Boston Bruins. How happy are you that Jake DeBrusque's play has at least made one of those three draft picks from 2015 viable? Considering you should have Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat, and Matt Barzal on the roster. I'll start I'll talk there. About what we should have. Let's just talk about what we do have. Well, uh, Zaboral is making the team this year, so so they're going to get minutes out of two out of three, and that uh, and Gr- great, the- terrific. <laughs> Well, he was going to play last year, but he tore his ACL in preseason. But um, you know, the DeBrusque thing is 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 funny because if you don't follow the team closely, he he Cassidy Bruce Cassidy essentially benched him, played him on his offside, put him on a checking line. DeBrusque was clearly tuned out; he wasn't doing the right thing. And then uh, they had some injury, or they had some injuries. They had some you know Craig Smith's play didn't didn't work up on the top line, and they had to shuffle the lines around, move Pasternak down to the second line. And there's a spot there on the right wing, DeBrus to play his off wing, and he scored. I think it was like 17 goals in 27 games or something outrageous at the end of last season. And really turned it on. Rescinded his trade request, and here he is signing an extension. I, I don't know what to think about that guy, but it is uh, it's 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 great to see. Where are you at on the Hampus Lindholm trade? Trade was fine. The contract could be could be a bit of an albatross. You know it's. You you don't you know you don't draft that guy in the first round where they're drafting right so so the pick for the guy is fine right but that's a long that's a long contract the numbers say he's falling off a little bit ah we'll we'll see we'll see he he didn't really stay healthy the end of last season when they had him so we'd like to see him you know watching the guy he looks amazing just carrying the puck doing things in the zone both ends he's a good player to, good player to watch to go off on. Two, if they have two top top flight defensemen, if they have him and McAvoy, I'm fine with that. To go off on a little tangent here, remember when Anaheim had all these young defensemen in house that they just were teaming with? You had Fowler and Lindholm and Theodore and Montour and all these guys and Josh Manson and Josh Manson even was a little bit later, but yeah, like he, you know, he was in that mix and then to see where their D is at now, where it could have been. And it's not like these guys signed for 9 million a year. They could have kept Shea Theodore, 
maybe. I mean, some you're going to get somebody pilfered from your roster when Vegas and Seattle come calling. But still, like, I, I you know, and that's a reason they've been where they've been. They, they, I think they did a poor job of managing that defensive depth. And, and now, yeah, you got some returns for some of these guys, but the ones you got were probably the ones you should have traded. And the ones you traded are the ones that should probably be on your roster. But well, one of my we'll favorite things about season previews is is, is kind of thinking about the, some of the transactions that happen in the offseason. And last night, I noticed that John Klingberg is on the docks. There, like, how did how did that happen? He he's, <laughs> he snuck on there late. I I was guessing Chuck Fletcher was gonna go into cap hell further to sign him because he's right handed and he plays defense. But I was wrong. So he he already had that Rasmus first line and money topped up. So. <laughs> You know, and, and when you and when you can trade a pick for uh, you know the rights to sign Tony D'Angelo, who's going to be a free agent in a month, and then overpay him, you know, you got to do it. But on the, on the Atlanta home question, right? I mean, they the, the Flyers traded a first rounder for Rasmus Ristolainen, and a second, and a viable <laughs> NHL defenseman. And, and the Bruins traded a first for Hampus Lindholm. Right, I mean, and your your first is the late twenties. I mean, Philly knew yeah. where they were picking when they <laughs> traded number fourteen to Ristol, for Ristolainen. Yeah. They knew, they knew where they were picking. Yeah, so that he stinks. Let's be honest, there he stinks. Yeah, that Philly make, trade uh, is in like Peter Chiarelli territory, being bad. I mean, I can't. I, I I wanted him exposed in the expansion draft so they would take his money. I mean, I I, I when I saw that, I couldn't believe it. Uh, Coach Rob, oh. not Rob, current our guest here. Uh, as a Flyers fan, he knows I bring this up on absolutely every podcast. I find a way to talk about Rasmus Sisterline. And so at the 13 minute mark, I've already done that. So, That's good. That's good. so yeah, yeah, you know me. So, Kevin, let's have the David Krejci conversation. To me, this is one of the most underrated players of the last decade plus because he never gets any of the national cred. But when you watch the Bruins as much as I do, as someone who plays against them and as you do as your team, like this guy running the second line is consistently dangerous with the puck for the 20 minutes he's out there and responsible defensively wins draws. And I think that's a big thing about this Boston team is it, it just seems like Bergeron and Krejci just do not lose draws in either end. So talk about your experience with David Krejci as a lifelong Bruins fan. Um, it, it hasn't been the roller coaster that the Jacob Brooks experience has been. Krejci, it's like everything is one speed, you know. The guy, the guy doesn't go fast. He he's go a slow. great men's league player in the <laughs> NHL. <laughs> Yo, oh yeah, yeah. Just just coast along, but like he, he controls the puck in both ends. He's he's there. He's in the way when when the other team's trying to center center the puck. He's you know, like you said, he's winning draws. He's setting up his own guys. He never panics. Some of the goals that he's he doesn't score a lot of goals. Right? He doesn't have huge numbers. I think he's point goaler in the sixties or seventies. In the playoffs, they jump up because he clearly just kind of paces it through the regular season. And I, like I said, I think that's kind of the problem that, that, that the team is going to have in the hole. But once they get to the playoffs, you see playoff Creechie, and, and they, they internally they have a nickname for him that's, you know, playoff Creechie. And they just notice that he's just a different guy because he's just making everybody better. And if you look at Taylor Hall's numbers with him, uh, even, well, Pasternak's numbers don't really change because he goes from Creechie to Bergeron. So, <laughs> so you're going from Creechie to a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, but you know all, all the other Craig Smith when he went up to a different when he when he was on the Bergeron line he couldn't do anything, and when he was on the when it was Smith, Creechie and Hall, he was producing. Craig, and guy Craig Smith, right? You know he's not you don't think of him like a star, but he was he was really putting up numbers, and it's just because Creechie's 
drawing defenders his way. He's creating space in just doing things that don't always show up on the scoreboard. And, and that's like an overused phrase, but the crazy stuff really, really is. He's got, he's got to be frustrating to play against. He and uh, Thomas Vanek was a guy like this too, where, where I call him like adult league all-stars or 30 by 60 all-stars where if the rink was cut in half, they'd be hall of famers just because they're so handsy and shifty and good. And, and I'm not worried about him taking the year off and being 36 or whatever he is this year because he doesn't, you know, speed's not his game, power's not his game. It's, it's all cunning and coordination and things that you don't really lose the same way that you would if it was, you know, if he was the true power forward or something. And, you know, we've we've had a couple games in the can here. I won't say, you know, we, we got this preview done on time, but even though they're kind of, they're, they're down a couple goals a night, they, they look pretty good. They were a good team last year. And they kept pretty much everybody intact. Andrew Down, Bergeron, and McAvoy to start the season. Yeah, look, the, the top two lines are not going to be the problem with this team. You know what you're going to get out of them. They're, they're top flight, top six, right? They can hang with any team in the NHL. It's, it's whether or not they get production out of the third and fourth lines, which has really been a problem. And they're paying Coyle something in the, the five and a half to six million dollars a year for the next few years as a third line center. And the guy just hasn't, he just hasn't been worth that kind of money. And, you know, Nick Foligno's on a big contract. He's, he's getting, I think, three and a half this year. Yeah, I see that face. Um, you know, they just put him through waivers and nobody took him. So that tells you what you need to know about that. Um, the Trent, Trent Frederick didn't develop the way that they thought he was going to. Jake Jackson-Nika didn't develop the way he was going, they thought he was going to. And some of this is, you know, the prior coach wasn't as patient with young guys as he could have been. He gave Foligno a lot of first-line looks when they could have been going other other directions. And so... You know, there's there's a lot to blame here, but uh, as Rob mentioned, the Bruins have a new coach, and he oh, the, the early returns are good. Um, the, he says the right things. It was very concerning for a while there when when it looked like it was going to be um, oh man, I'm blanking on the guy who was at the Rangers, uh, David Quinn. Uh, that made me very nervous because <laughs> it, it's just such a blase hire, right? But the Montgomery thing was an inspired pick. Um, he, had, he only he only left Dallas because he had a personal issue that's cleared up. It was nothing, you know, serious in terms of like harming other people. But you know, it looks like they got a they kind of lucked out in, in the timing for for this hire. And to close the loop on Boston a little bit, who's your number one goaltender? They have two number twos. I think is the problem. It's um, probably the correct answer. You know. Swayman really has some flashes of, of having the potential, but he also makes some gigantic mistakes that, that Rask just never made. Right. Um, the, I don't know if, I don't know if people in, in the Tucson area know about the Tuka Rask situation, but for 10 years, he was their goalie and he's probably the best goalie that the team has ever had on a consistent, you know, on, on a long stretch like that. And, the fans just wanted to run him out of there. Why? And Andy Moog might disagree with you. Who, who might? Andy Moog. No, well, no. He was not yeah, there as long. Yeah, he wasn't there as long. He, you know, he and good good. Um, yeah, you know, like, they, the, but for, I'm just saying for the, the, the time, for the, the longevity they had. Um, and he, you know, he won the multiple playoff series. And uh, he's, he wasn't this flashy kind of like Hashik type all over the place. He was, he was just always in the right spot. And, he, you know, he's, you knew what you were going to get from Tuka Rath, 915, 920 save percentage. Um, could move, could, could save anything, you know, from any direction. And he didn't let in back goals. 
you know, and, and that's what they're seeing out of Swayman and even Linus is that sometimes there's just some mind-blowing goals that are going in the net that you just never, never got um, for 10 years with Rask. No, I, w- I would say that's correct. I mean, I think that's a big thing about whether you can keep Allmark healthy and whether one of these two can play like a number one if they are healthy in the playoffs. All right. So good. We, we, got, th- we got through the Boston corner a little bit, and now it's my turn with my beloved Buffalo Sabres. Just a, a young team that it's going to be interesting to see how these pieces emerge, especially this year, but in the next two years. So you have, they basically made two moves. They signed Eric Comrie and net, and they signed Ilya Labushkin to add some size and some depth on the right side on defense. But other than that, they brought these kids up to play. Jack Quinn was in the starting lineup opening night. JJ Paterka was in the starting lineup opening night. Uh, they didn't keep any of their draft picks from this year up, but a lot of them other than Matt Savoy are playing in Rochester. So they very much, even though they have a wealth of cap space was very much that we're going to let these kids play and we're going to let them sort it out. They ended the year last year on a 12, six and three run when they really had some health, when Craig Anderson was back, when their Casey Middlestat, yeah, power was up for the end of the year. Uh, Casey Middlestat was back and healthy. Zemgus Gergensen's back and healthy. And they really had the lineup they kind of envisioned. I mean, the early returns are good. Craig Anderson and Comrie were good in the preseason. I was there opening night when they played Ottawa, and Craig Anderson was extremely good. But that's the thing, you know, with an older goalie like him, you can ride him earlier in the season, and then I think you're going to see Comrie take over more starts. And just for this team, you know, they're they're one and one. They play the the McGee's eye tonight, and they do the West Coast swing. So we'll see if the Tage Thompson line and Jeff Skinner can kind of reignite because they put him with Victor Olofsson instead of Alex Tuck this year, and Olofsson, I just don't. He's just he's just not fast enough. He's a good power play specialist, but he just doesn't have the pace to be a top six guy. And what was good about that line last year, because you have Thompson goes nearly 40 goals. Skinner goes over 30. Once Tuck was back and healthy, those three as a line. I mean, when you have Thompson at six, seven and Tuck at six, five with the speed they have for checking, and then you have Skinner with what he does best in his edge work and his Mohawk turns or his two foot turns, picking up pucks. They were really, lethal when other teams let up their guard just a little bit it was like okay we're gonna break the puck out and then before you know it it was Skinner and Thompson one of them was finishing a play from the other in the back of the net so I think they were a little quick to break up that line but you know that's the thing too with they're definitely not worried about this year as much they want these kids to play they want them to gain experience they want them to go through the ups and downs and maybe with some of the depth they have in their bottom six and their goaltending uh, you know, I, I'll say Owen Power has been an outright disaster the first two games, and so it's, that's fine. It's, that's fine. Which is fine, and and that's and and I'll talk about it too. Is that they made a ton of mistakes on opening night, and they were bailed out by Craig Anderson. They then have Florida come into town again, just make a ton of mistakes, but they're letting the it's they they keep throwing power over the boards. Darlene even. Can you just repeat that that sentence you said about Craig Anderson? What in, in the year twenty twenty two? I know were, he's forty one <laughs> years old. Check 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 the highlights from opening night against Ottawa. I was physically there, watching him stop a handful of breakaways because Casey Middlestat blew a tire. Owen Power tried a backhand sauce pass that didn't work. Darlene just outright gave one up the same way. Is so he good? It's it's good. What I will say though is, is, is that. Darlene good? Sorry. Yes. I interrupted you. Here's, here, he good? here's why. 
he's I would say he's more unique than well-rounded at this point because his ceiling and floor are so they are miles apart because in one game you'll see him make a pass like I do in the adult league where I'm trying an 85 foot backhand saucer pass or he'll he'll leave it for someone that he thinks knows that he wants to make that play but who's already skating away and he'll do a backhand blind drop pass in his own zone and it's on the tape of the other team rolling downhill but then he has goals in the first two games and they came off of plays he made where he started it in his own end by just making really high IQ plays that other defensemen in this league, even elite ones, don't make to start the rush and to get himself in a good spot. So they, they're going to play high event hockey this year with all those kids <laughs> and all those mistakes. So they're at least going to be fun to watch because there's been years where they have, they've been brutal to watch. If you're you, you want that, right? Sure. You, you, want, you want these kids to be able to make mistakes and learn from it. But I, I, need to ma- I need to make sure that the ceiling is there, too. So I don't want them to hold on to these prospects too long. Rob, what do you think? So I was curious. Yeah, I, well, first off, to your, your point, if I'm Buffalo, you're doing what I wanted the Wings to do this year, which is don't bring in a bunch of outside help. See what you got with the kids and see if you can develop and, and see how it goes. Obviously, the wings went another direction. I'm fine with that as well, but you guys are doing it the way I would have preferred. Uh, the run you guys went on at the end of the last year is certainly encouraging. I wouldn't read too much into that because you never know. Points that you get after you're eliminated are always kind of up in the air. Teams aren't always playing as hard at the end of the year, that sort of thing. Rather, You'd rather do well than not, but I wouldn't read too much into it. But yeah, you've got a, an amazing collection of young talent that Assuming uh, Granado's the guy to do it, it's going to be really interesting watching them develop. And it seems like this team gelled once you got rid of Eichel and got that situation out of the room. And it's you know, so I, I'm real curious to see how things develop over the year. But I like I like the approach Buffalo's taking. Very consistent, very kind of methodical in, in moving it forward. Speaking of that point, Rob, I called San Jose the new Detroit where they're too late to the rebuild and they haven't done it correctly. Am I correct? Yeah, no. I mean, yes. From from the overall, yes, you are. Uh, the one thing San Jose did was they bet big on a couple of players and bet on the wrong ones. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, bringing in Eric Carlson and trading the farm for him, getting basically one playoff run out of him, and then he's been about – he's been a, you know – shadow of himself the rest of his time you know that's certainly that wouldn't have been a Ken Holland move because it would have been far too bold to bring in an Eric Carlson uh but yeah they're they've got too much money invested in a, a lot of older players and they're there's only so much movement they can do now with that roster um yeah uh you're not wrong but not quite the same situation but yeah they're, they're ultimately they're old they're not getting any younger and they've got a lot of pain to live through before they're going to get out of it. Well, at least the Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, Troika games will be a lot more fun to watch this year because those were some of the worst the last handful I'm of years. I'm fascinated. I mean, they were all separated by one, you know basically one or two points in the standings last year. I'm fascinated to see if who breaks out of that if any of them do. Uh, you know, I would think it would probably be either Ottawa or Detroit to do it, but I don't know. I, you know, we got a new coach in Detroit, so a lot, a lot kind of out there. That's well, good, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, t- it was, Lash time. was fine, but it was Lash time. had 
his message was done. He just the, he wasn't going to get. Yeah, we needed to change it up. Look, the the hockey coach shelf life is a tough thing. A tough thing. Even so, Scotty Bowman was fired. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you name every successful coach really in NHL history. By and large, they've been on a handful of teams. They're not oh, George yeah. Hallis or Bill Belichick. Yeah. Nice. So, perfect segue there to the Detroit Red Wings. So, Rob, you know, one of the off-season darlings, and the two off-season darlings are both in this division. One of them's the Detroit Red Wings. Go ahead, since uh, I'll, I'll let you have the floor to kind of recap okay. the Wings off-season. Go for it. Well, I mean, it starts with getting a new coach. We get Derek Lalone from uh, the Tampa organization. He had previously been in the Wings organization uh, as, as the head coach at Toledo and with our ECHL affiliate. Uh, he had moved to, I think, Iowa in the Toledo, AHL. To- can we get a Toledo walleye shout out? We got one of our coaches from Toledo. He still wears his walleye gear. Well, Alone's a walleye, uh, and he did great things with that you know, organization. He went to Iowa and inherited a team that was a tire fire there, and got him playing above five hundred in the you know the first year he was there, which was pretty good uh, progress. And then he obviously moved on to John Cooper's staff, and you know John Cooper's pretty good freaking coach, so you know hard to argue yeah. with that. Where you been the last uh, couple of years? Tampa. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know, and, and most importantly, Iserman knows him. Iserman hired him. Iserman's familiar with him. And, and Stevie likes people around him that he, you know, is familiar with and that he kind of knows how they're going to play out. Uh, so, obviously, that's our first start. The fact that he can also stand in as a live-action Gru whenever they make Despicable Me into a live-action uh, movie, we've already got that candidate, so that's good. Or John Cooper uh, as – with John Cooper as Michael Keaton? Yeah, Perfect. <laughs> None of our kids understand that reference, but they'll understand Gru. Probably not. Hopefully they understand the Gru one. Uh, on defense, the Wings added a bunch of free agents. Ben Sherrod, Olimata, who your mom's favorite player. Uh, oh, Robert Hag. Olimata so much. He does? Mark Fisick. Oh, yeah. Uh, and obviously Joe Pis- just hates Olimata so much. Oh, and then Mark Pissick, who uh, got injured in the offseason, which is why we brought in Hag. Uh, at forward, we've got David Perron, uh, Dominic Kabalik, uh, Andrew Kopp. I mean, we've we added basically an entire side of our defense and an entire second line's worth of players. So uh, it's been interesting. I wouldn't have gone that direction, but Steve Eiserman knows more about – he's forgotten more about hockey than I'll ever know, so I tend to defer to him. How happy were you to get Eiserman back in the organization? He's he's tremendous, uh, and it was long overdue to get rid of Holland, so you know, it was great. I was super happy when we got him back. As to where we're going to be, I don't know. We're 2-1 or 2-0-1 oh right now on the new season – uh, with some pretty nice returns, our goaltending. Who knows? We bring in, and that's the other addition. We bring in Billy Huso from St. Louis, uh, who was basically what Alex Nedeljkovic was the year before, <laughs> a, a kind of unproven rookie that comes up, plays Parma, really Ohio well. Native. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ohio native Alex Nedeljkovic, uh, and so Iserman takes the same gamble a second year in a row. Uh, he brings him in, and we'll see which of those two kind of emerges from the uh, goaltending carousel. There, uh, not I to, like not both. to harp on the sorry, not to harp on the Eisenman point. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Oh no, no, not at all. Um, but he left 
that Tampa team that he built before they won the cup to go to Detroit to come yes. home. That's yes. that's got to be like just an incredible sign of faith from you know in, that he has in the organization and in his own ability and in, in just in the community in, as a, as a from a mental standpoint. And I don't know how much of the, the the locker room stuff people like to talk about, but that's just got to be so uplifting if you're if you're a fan or you know somebody who's going to come and be part of that organization as a player. Yeah, he's had a tremendous effect on the organization. I don't know if it was faith in the organization, at least the roster, when he came in. No, but no. it was faith in the organization and the Illich family. Yeah, uh, you know, he, you Steve bleeds uh, red wing white and, you know, and red. That's just you know, it's where he's been since he was seventeen years old. Uh, other than you know, when we loaned him out to Tampa. Um, so yeah, and Steve's you know a, a consummate professional. He's super driven, and he you know it, you talk w- with any of the free agents that we brought in, all of them in their interviews, their you know their their first pressers when they you know come in uh, to talk to the you know the new Red Wings media, they all say when you get a call from Steve Eiserman, you listen and you listen hard and you you know you pick up the phone and. You know, he brought in a second line center. He brought in a second line winger. He brought in, you know, a first or second pairing defenseman, depending on what you think of Sherratt. He brought in a second pairing defenseman in Mata. All these guys brought in basically a off second of Steve pair, Second pairing defenseman in Europe, as Mama DeJo would probably say. And maybe the <laughs> maybe Swedish two league. I don't know. Second He's pairing, off to a good yeah. start this year. Second pairing defenseman in the Allsvenskan Swedish two yeah. league. <laughs> When, uh, during, during the draft this year, when when Eiserman went running up the <laughs> running up the aisle after the the prior pick, they, I, I honestly forgot exactly who went before him, but they must have been a little bit nervous about the pick that they made. They left somebody on the table. Eiserman was was that uh, was salivating over in that way. Yeah, yeah um, Although- that's the the Austrian kid that we got in the off season, um, or in the draft in the first round. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who that was. Um, it was yeah. the, the kid who's the center, uh, what, Marco Casper. Yeah. Marco Casper. Thank you, thank you. And he's playing in. Um, uh, he's playing with a couple of our other prospects up there in the Swedish league. So, yeah, the the big issues for us right now, uh, we've got the Larkin extension that we is still being negotiated. That one, everyone kind of assumes is going to play out. The other one is the Bertuzzi. You know, he's coming up on um, you know UFA status as well. And of course, he just got injured yet again. So I don't know. Eiserman, as I said, he's he's got he's going to work it out with Larkin. No one doubts that. Bertuzzi's a bigger problem. He's taken us to arbitration. He's taken us, uh, you know, all the way to the eleventh hour with negotiations in the past. And he's got a ton of trade value. Personally, uh, given his style of play. He's a guy that gets injured a lot. He brings a ton to the table. He's a great glue guy in the locker room. But I wouldn't be surprised if Eiserman uh, trades him sometime before the deadline and hopefully gets a nice return for him. Because somebody's going to overpay Tyler Bertuzzi in term and dollars, uh, and I would rather it not be us. What's their timeline? Two years ago? As to timeline, as to contention. Two years ago? To contention. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant just Bertuzzi. To contention? <laughs> the Bertuzzi trade. The timeline was, it should have been done two years ago. It was when he put I, up 30. Yeah. 
our, I don't look, I think we'll be making market improvement this year, but you know, most of the experts say to the extent you can guess maybe 85 to 90 points, uh, which would be a fantastic improvement from where yeah. we've been the last couple of years. But when do we get into playoff contention? Maybe next year. When do we get into cup contention? You know, I'm not sure we've got the roster to do it yet. Um, maybe a couple more years, you know, and by that time, Bertuzzi's what, 27 now. You're talking yeah. 28, 29, 30. I'd dump him and I would get what you can for him because he is, you know, a lot of teams were very interested in him because he plays a playoff style game. So the big issues for us, how do we, you know, how do we gel with this new lineup? How big an improvement do we make? What's our new coach do? It's going to be an interesting season. Rob, here's your hard-hitting question. Was this the right thing to do? Sign these old guys. As I told you, as I said when you were talking about Buffalo, Buffalo did what I wish Detroit had done. But still, you have, uh, to, you have to do that. I think you have to do that to say, look, we have to let the window of the better teams go by us yeah. and play these kids. And now, well, look. This is the Tucson Hockey Podcast. We got to see Billy Huso play a lot of goal in this town in the AHL. He's the best AHL goalie I've seen since, well, you know, I got to see Dustin Wolf last year. He was as impressive in different ways. But Huso, I mean, he would just come down and he'd stop 35, 40 shots for the kind of last coagulation of different farm systems in that San Antonio team when they didn't really have an affiliate. And he was their goalie. You had mixes from a couple of teams in there, so they weren't very good. But he was exceptional. And so... I, I like the Huso signing, but again, it's just I just I just don't think your roster is good enough. Yeah, maybe you get the four seed this year, but I think that I, I'm going to say they just did it the wrong way, and I think their timetable is just not applicable now because you have to at least see the pieces that are going to turn into a cup contender team. I think I think you guys are working hard to sign to get back to the playoffs rather than go the Buffalo route and say. I want to win the cup in five years. And I know I'm not going to get there for that long. I don't disagree. I thought it was premature to take this step. I thought we needed one more year of a lottery pick. Uh, I, I trust Iserman and the scouting staff, which I didn't trust the last uh, crew. I didn't trust the Ken Holland administration scouting staff. I trust this one, but I think we needed one more year of not being fabulous. But, you know, from the same standpoint, you got a bunch of young kids that you do not want to get used to losing. And so from that standpoint, Eiserman, you know, decided to roll the dice this year. I think it was too early by a year, but, but we'll Col see. Did Colorado erase that? Those kids lost a lot. They lost they a did. ton. And, and it they was did. just, and it was their, it was their skating ability and there. And, and it was, yeah, you had these things, you know, you could talk about learning the right way, but these were high picks that were really good. And that's what you don't have. You don't have, but, a, you don't have a McCarr. You don't have a McKinnon. Most Sider is going to be good. He's not McCarr. He's, he's not McKinnon. Different player. You need, yeah, you, I, you need a Bedard. You, you need that. Yeah. And, and I'm not convinced that Lucas Raymond, who was a hotshot rookie for us last year is going to be an 80, 90 point player. I think he's probably going to top out around 60 to 70 points. Great player. Real electric on the ice can do some amazing things, but I, I I agree. I don't think we're where Colorado was with talent. But for every Colorado that was able to get over that hump, no offense, you got to look at the Buffalo uh, Sabers that spent 
10 plus years accumulating high draft picks and never getting anywhere. The Edmonton Oilers that it took, you know, it took Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and purging half the roster, you know, in order to break, you know, get them into the playoffs again. I think it's just, it's a crapshoot when you, you rely on rebuilding strictly through the draft. When, yeah, when one team has the first two picks in the fantasy draft to start their roster, you're still in pretty good shape. And then you have yes. one team that probably has the third and the fourth pick in the fantasy hockey draft. And then you have one team that maybe has five and six between Matthews and Marner, three and four, I, I would say McKinnon, McCarr. And then, you know, Tampa, you probably have Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, Hedman. So Vasilevsky. I mean, the, Vasilevsky, I mean, you know, the, and then New York window wide open because of their goaltending in Shesterkin. So I think more than ever, the star power is carrying the league. I, I think it was, I think they're a little behind when they still talk about parity in that, okay, you had that stat where no one making over $10 million was ever on a cup team. And, but still like it was, it was those young, it was Kane and Taves. It's Malkin, Latang, Crosby. And these are all high picks. And just, and you talk about Buffalo, we missed on high picks. Yeah. And getting you, back, you guys to are missed point. on high picks. I mean, you guys, you yeah. guys once traded Pavel Datsuk's contract to move down where you took J- Dennis Chalowski instead of having Jacob Chikrin. I was hoping we weren't going to bring that one up. Uh, nah, you know me better than that. Yeah, yeah uh, the Jacob Chikrin uh, miss, which we probably wouldn't have drafted Chikrin even if uh, no we chance. Had I would say position. no chance. I, I don't. I didn't have a lot of faith in the last administration or the last uh, you know crew, uh, the Holland scouting staff they hit on some guys but like Larkin um like Bertuzzi uh like Mantha but they didn't hit on near enough and and we wasted a lot of first rounders so yeah I I, I'm with you I mean our best players are Larkin and he's a borderline top 15 center in the league maybe I don't think it's enough. I like Cider. I like this kid, Simon Edvinson, that we've got on defense. I think our defense is going to be championship caliber. I don't think our forwards are going to be. What about Verona? Verona was a great pickup. Verona was a fabulous pickup. and that Especially was, for a guy who doesn't play defense. Yes. Uh, Verona's had health issues. I'm yeah. not sure where he's going to pan out. We have, you know, we've had him for two seasons. Well, part of one season – and last season, and he was injured most of last season. He's electric when he's on the ice. Get in, gets injured a lot, and he's out again right now. I'm not sure what the deal is with him. Um, I, I love, love Ron. Though. He's super fun to watch. Yeah, that's true. And again, you know, part of your enjoyment as a fan is can you put these guys on television without like looking at your phone every two minutes because it's just sloppy and no one can control the puck or go fast. So at least that's better. All right. Well, we've we've now hit three big teams of players that we have fans of because we have Boston plants. We have Detroit folks. We have Buffalo folks. So let's go to the sunny state of Florida and talk about the Panthers a little bit. Do they still win this division in the regular season? Probably. I think they're in contention with Toronto. One of the two of them has to emerge because I don't trust Boston or Tampa to do it this year. I assume Florida will probably be there. I mean, you talked about who they lost. They lost Huberdeau. They lost Uyghur. They also lost Mason Marchment to Dallas, and he was a crucial part of, I think, their third line that was really successful last year. And then, you know, you look at their their coaching situation. They they are just 
you know, on fire with Andrew Burnett. They don't do great in the playoffs, and they bring in. Don't do great is putting it nicely. They don't score any power play goals, and a beat up, tired Tampa team runs them in four. Yeah, yeah, true. And you know, it's true. It's I, I thought they learned their lesson last year when they got beat, and it seemed like this. Well, t- I guess two seasons ago now, I thought they learned their lesson. And then you thought last year that they were ready. They were really good. They're really deep. They got through a round against Washington where they weren't great, but hey, we got through it to the second round. Now you're playing Tampa who, you know, they, they're they're tired, they're hurt, they're banged up, and you, you don't even get a win on the board. So I guess they had to learn it the even harder way last year. Does that against their against their biggest rival too? Against their biggest rival, the team, the team that you got to dethrone if you want to get in. So I, you know, and then we talked about it, the opening, you lose a heart trophy nominee last year, which isn't easy to do. And Jonathan Huberdeau, you lose Mackenzie Weger. Yeah. You get Kachuk back and you get some more of that, you know, playoff snarl that, you know, is a hockey cliche, but again, a player that's really good. Like Kachuk's going to be fine. I saw him on opening night. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I saw his brother on opening night and I saw him in game two when Florida played Buffalo and he scored goals and he's getting in, you know, he's getting in everybody's face. So he's doing exactly what you paid him to do. And that's a good guy to have on your roster. But you know, when I, I just feel, I think this, I don't know if their championship window was ever open. I think it might've sneakily closed in this off season with losing those two guys. I really do. Kachuk gives them something that, that none of the other guys that you just mentioned, give them the, the, the toughness level of Kachuk versus, Barkov, Huberdeau, Uyghur combined. Right. You know, he, 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 he brings them a playoff snarl. I mean, maybe that's what they were looking for, but boy, when that trade went down, that was a shocker because just a massive, massive, massive haul for a Calgary team that was reeling a little bit after losing Goudreau the way that they did um, to really come back. That was just, be- that was just beautiful to watch transpire. Calgary's no. offseason was very impressive. Extremely. And uh, we talked about it in the Pacific Division podcast, which um, I know neither one of you listen to. So maybe yes. Rob may, my, Rob listens to it once in a while. Kevin, I, I know this I is going to be the first one you listen to. So yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll get some, I'll get some, some, some listeners. And maybe, this, maybe for like eight minutes. And then, yeah, if they want to check out the other previews or when we have <laughs> Dan Rosen on or something like that. No, but uh I just well the other reason I think their windows closed is because after all these years we've never seen the regular season Sergei Bobrovsky be the playoff Sergei Bobrovsky and he was he had some good years in Columbus Kevin your team broke my heart in 2019 Tuka Rask specifically because I thought Columbus was the better team in that series before you guys went to the cup and then still it was okay you know and even in the Blue Jackets lost a couple years to the Penguins, and you had one. There was two years where he was outright awful in the playoffs, and then he was okay, but he wasn't the the showstopper that you're paying ten million dollars a year for. Like you're paying a guy ten million now, and you expect you know the elite level goaltending in the playoffs, like you get out of Vasilevsky and you get out of Shesterkin. So I just, I just, I don't know if their window was ever open for that reason, and I think it's closed for the same reason. We talked on the Met Division podcast. Carolina got way better. New York is still ascending with all those kids and the reigning Vezina trophy winner. And, and it's just, I just don't see any team from this division coming out of the East and Florida is going to be a team where 
they're they're kind of I think they're closer to Toronto than they are to New York and to Carolina, especially with the additions that Carolina made in the offseason. So again, that's not really talking about Florida, but again, you have a lot of good pieces there. Barkov, you'd like to think that kind of the size and just the physicality that Barkov has, the physicality that Kachuk plays with, and you'd like to think that if you do finally get that year out of Sergei Bobrovsky, they can come out of the East. I just, even if they win this division, I just don't see it. They maybe win a round or two, but I conference finals is, is their ceiling. Anybody want to tell me I'm wrong? No, I, I think conference finals is as good as you could expect from that lineup. Uh, you're, you're, you're saying that Spencer Knight's not going to develop. No, I just don't think with Bobrovsky's contract that they're just going to turn the keys over to him and say, you know what, we'll ride. We know how good Bobrovsky can be and can't be. Even though he makes $10 million, you know what, kid? You're our ace number one. What does that do to a locker room when you have a guy that makes $10 million? And you're never going to do a locker room. What to do a locker room when you have your second best goalie starting your playoff games? Well, sure. You know, but again, these, these things matter. Um, You know, locker room culture is a big thing in hockey. Like, uh, well, Rob, uh, Kevin and I are famous for retiring in the middle of a game once. That's a true story. We retired after the first period of a game and went to white castle. 100, Um, 100% true. 100% true. I, maybe if there's time later, maybe we'll rehash that one, but <laughs> locker room culture, big deal. And those things matter. And that's the thing is, are they going to, can you really give Knight the chance to be the number one guy here? And the logistics matter too, because if Knight's the number one guy, you then have $10 million worth of cap space being swallowed by a guy who's not your playoff goalie, which stops you from He's doing gonna be things. disgruntled also. Right. Which uh, stops you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take, take something from the Tampa playbook and LTIR him. Yeah, you know, the next time there's a hurricane, maybe there's an alligator accident or something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what did you think about them bringing in Paul Maurice? Look, I I always say that your GM is more important than your coach. I'm not saying your coach isn't important, but again, it's I, I think you have to settle out the GM part first, and then you figure out who your good coaches are. So, like, you can be a great coach, but when you have no roster and no cap space and no flexibility, you can't. It's not the NFL. You can't system your way into wins and it being a good team. You have to unless have the roster Unless first. you get Barry Trotz behind the Barry, Yeah, Barry Trotz would unless disagree you, with you, d- sir. Right, Barry Trotz. But again, yeah, Barry Trotz would disagree. But still, it's not like he had crumb bums at his, at his stops either. Like, he was in Washington for a long time. They had good players. The yeah, Islanders, Islanders teams from the last couple of years. Well, were, well now everyone's realizing how good those players were under Trotz. But again, they could still, if they were good again, I wouldn't be surprised. They had a bad start to last season on the road for so many games. They were unhealthy. But at the end of the year, they started to look like the Islanders again, even though, um, you know, they, uh, yeah, they, they, was, they fell short. By the time they were good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, they're, but still, like, and no, and I, again, I'm not saying coach doesn't matter. I'm saying that, you know, the, the ticket to get in is your roster. And then you sort it out. When you don't get in the building because your roster's poor, not really matter in how your coach is. So when I say, I don't, I don't really think it moves the needle one way or the other for this team. Okay. I, I wouldn't have, Maurice wouldn't, was not an inspired hire in my yeah. mind. But, I mean, how many teams, um, this is the next team that is going to have Peter Laviolette as the coach when he like leaves this year. And then, you know, Kevin, I expect Peter Laviolette to coach your team once 
before it's well, all he, said he, and done. He, he came up through the, the Providence. Yeah, through, yeah. He's he's definitely he, gonna be there once. He's due. He he was he was in you know we had him in the minors, so that might be that might be enough. I mean, they held on to Cassie for quite a while, right? And they, I, I think not to go back to the Bruins, but they did scapegoat him a little bit for some of the GM's failings, mostly to your point. But as you were talking about the GM situation, I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly what happened up in Boston. They they had to the GM made mistakes, and they had to you know fire the coach as a result. Well, I, I think we, I think we kind of settled up on Florida, where they they might you know the house looks good from the street, but when you do the home inspection, you don't like what you see. So let's uh, let's talk about Montreal for as little amount of time as humanly possible. Um, I think it's obligatory. We have to talk about them some. We do have a French Canadian family that's part of our organization here. So I mean, we'll we'll talk about the haves here for a minute. But I mean, they're they're look, they're in a rebuild. I think they're kind of halfway in, halfway out. But again, uh, let's well, let's talk about the big ticket item. Was is Slavkovsky the right pick at one? Do you guys have enough draft savvy to be able to say, I don't know, I, I think I got to take one of these kids in the middle rather than a flash winger? So the big, I mean, the, what all the draft gurus were saying about Slavkowski was he was great in the World Juniors, he was great in the Olympics, and he was very mediocre in the uh, in Liga. The Olympics and, were and, slow. The Olympics were oh, slow. Unwatchable hockey. Were slow. Olimata would have did great there. I mean, they were slow. Rasmus Ristolainen would have been a monster. So, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have. I'm not sure I would have, you know, maybe Shane Wright was would have been the better pick up there. None of those guys absolutely screamed home run. Uh, the other one, I'm trying to think, the, uh, Logan Cooley. Burn, burn Lo- Logan Cooley, I think Logan Cooley was the best player in the draft, and I think Wright was right there with him. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm taking one of those two guys because, you know, Slavkovsky is a he's a big, fast shoot kid. That's not to say he won't turn into something in the league. It's just I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't either, because that's a lot of guys who go in the first. You have one. His name's Philip Zadina. You might have two. The other one's name might be Lucas Raymond. I mean, like, that's the thing when you see these kids and they have sh- they, when they shoot the puck that hard when they're 18, it really pops. But can they develop as players? Because when, when you score a lot of goals without having to go to the middle of the ice or without having to go to the boards, that takes a while to learn in the NHL. Like you could be good off the rush, but can you, can you operate in zone five on five? That's one of the things I'm always looking at for forwards. And I see that in Cooley and I see that in Wright. Uh, these are, these are, that's why I love Matt Boldy so much. That's why I loved Marco Rossi so much. It's these guys operate in zone five on five. And that's what, that's what I want when I pick one. I want a center who operates in the zone five on five on both ends. It's hard to go with a wing. It's, it's, just, it's just hard to do unless, unless there's some sort of generational talent, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, is he, is he left-handed Josh Anderson? Big, fast shoot, but never puts it together? I, look, I hope not. I, I, I want these kids. Josh Anderson play. I want but. these. When he's healthy, I mean, yeah, he's, yes. he's every bit of it. He's big, fast shoot. So I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to disparage the kid. Not that he's listening or anything. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think when you talk about a coaching change here, this was a good one. This was, this was going to Marty Saint Louis, who, as a French Canadian speaker, gets a lot of leeway in that town. He's like, look, I'm going to play these kids. Like, what are you doing? He, he comes in day one. He says, I'm going to play these kids, warts and all. 
they're going to get better. To I'm going to play some them. degree. They're doing right now kind of like a Buffalo style rebuild where it's like, we're just going to play the kids. And I liked the moves they made in the off season. They brought in doc, uh, you know, for a reasonable trade and, you know, um, they brought in, I'm trying to think who else they, they brought Sean in. Sean Monahan's dead body. They Sean, brought in, well, they Sean brought Monahan's in Monahan's cap hit for a year for yes. assets, which is fine. Well, that's that's what you do on a rebuild. There's theoretically a first rounder for Monahan. That's a nice return to take on that contract. So yeah, I like the moves they did. And St. Louis got some incredible production out of Caulfield after he took over. Suzuki came back to life. You know, there, there was some real, uh, real progress there. And as long as the Montreal faithful can be patient, which is not really their strong suit, uh, you know, no. I think some good things can happen over the years. They've got the Mike Matheson experience running the point when he's healthy. So that's that's going to be fun. I just, you know what I love? The thing about the two Eastern divisions, just to take another off-ramp here, I love how much hate these teams have for each other in the East that you really just don't see in the West. Especially since Detroit came over to the East and you don't have Detroit-Chicago hate anymore. You have the Battle of Alberta, and that's about it. Like, the California teams say they hate each other, but, you know, that's not real. They're all kind of yeah. newer. They, you know, they were good at different times coming up. It's not like they have these huge rivalries out West, but like when, when I think about teams, I hate it's, it's Montreal, Boston and Toronto are like neck and neck. Like it, it really varies by the day. And yeah. so you, you have, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of fun to hate on these teams. It, it, I think it makes the fandom in the NHL a better thing. I think the Met has some of the same stuff, Pittsburgh and Washington, with their stars being good at the same time has really developed that. So I think it makes for an enjoyable experience, even when your teams are playing Montreal and they're not rebuilding. It's like, hey, let's let's show these kids their place and let's enjoy watching our teams beat Montreal. Well, the ge- geographically, the teams are just so much closer, right? Yeah. And, so. and again, a lot of original six or expansion yeah. six teams that have been playing each other for 50, if not 100 years, pretty much by now. So... Anybody want to try and make a cl- case for these guys not finishing eighth in the division? Or can we move on? No. no. <laughs> can, yeah. They're going to finish eighth. Uh, and I think they're going to some. They're going to trade any tr- uh, remaining tradable assets they have that are over the age of 25 or so, so that they can get even worse prior to uh, the end of the season, so their draft position's better. And what, it's a what smart is that, move. Is that, is that Drew in? Like, I'm just looking at their roster and <laughs> It's not, he's going to take on Druen, though. You, you don't have you don't have to have anybody take him on. I mean, he's got one more year here. If you're talking about where he signs next year, he probably re ups for a million and a half next year with Montreal. Yeah, no, maybe. Yeah, and they, they yeah, that roster is, is is rough. Well, they they did finally end up with Evgeny Dodonov, who uh, he was the like the, he was like I he's like the Eddie Kennison of the NHL. I always used Eddie Kennison because when I was playing fantasy football. Eddie Kinnison was the guy who was on the waiver wires the most, like during that wide receiver period. Like you would always be able to pick up Eddie Kinnison, and then he'd have like a good game, and you'd be like, "Cool!" And then you drop him three weeks later, and then he catches two touchdowns, and somebody else picks him up. That seemed like it was Dodonov last year. It was, it was like this guy isn't bad. I feel bad. Like he's not a bad hockey player. It's just, you know, we talked about the Vegas exodus of talent being something that's completely unprecedented where they're trying to give away good, they have to give assets for people to take good players. So, and Montreal did that. I mean, this guy's going to score points. He's going to be fine. And I think I, I would say they're better than last year just because of 
the kids got better last year playing through some tough minutes and playing through some adversity. So again, this is the eighth team in this division. They're probably the best number eight team in the league because I think Philly's going to probably be pretty bad. Arizona, we know, is going to be bad. You know, out west, San Jose is going to probably be pretty bad. So the that, Yotes are not going to be good. Well, right. Well, we'll t- yeah, I got one more division left. It includes the Yotes in there with their. They, they, with, they beat the, the Maple Leafs. They, um, oh, we're we're going to get to that when we get to when, when we get to the T dot for sure. So. No, the, 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 the Habs were in the cup two years ago. I know it doesn't really count, but that was two seasons. Ago. Yeah, they had like 18 boy, months ago. It wasn't even two full years. They, they needed every single break to go right. They needed yeah. a seven team division where one team got COVID all year. And, you know, like Vancouver no. did. And then you get into the playoffs and yeah, John Tavares, you, you know, you're about to lose game five in overtime to Toronto and be done. And Tavares is out, but you rally back. Then Marc-Andre Fleury gives you a round. Because and they had and they had Carey Price. Then they had too, Carey right? Price, like, yeah. you know, and so. they had Shea. Um, they had Shea Weber uh, playing yeah. out of his gourd yeah. with his last run, basically. And then yeah. you had, and then by the time they got to Tampa, Tampa's like, this is by far the worst team we've played in the playoffs so far, <laughs> which was true. And they won the cup in five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gentleman they, sweep. Yeah, gentleman sweep. They could have won it in three. They could have just called it off after two if they wanted to, but you know, anyway. So let's move to the other bell of the ball this summer. Excited. The Ottawa Senators, who yeah. I got to see live in living color when they played Buffalo on Tuesday night. I will say, I, you know, man, it's, I would love to have a Kachuk brother on my team. I mean, I, I, I get it. Like these, these guys, I remember when they were drafted, it's like, are they going too high? And it's now it's, they didn't go high enough. I mean, these guys, you, you talk about night in, night out. You're like, I got to go play against this guy. I got to take shifts against this guy. I mean, that that's why I think we're going to win the Olympics once they let us have NHLers back. Just because you get to put the Kachuk brothers on either the same or two different lines. I mean, no, no one, no one can handle that smoke on this earth. Nobody Everybody can handle so smoke. Two, yeah, two Kachuk brothers. Good gravy. I mean, like with Austin Matthews in between, like that's unbelievable. Anyway, that's a good first line. Anyway, no, but I mean, their top six is really good. Like, people don't know who Drake Batherson is. People don't know who Norris is. People know who Stutzla is, though. They know who Dabrinkat is. They know who Claude Giroux is. I mean, Dabrinkat, it's going to take some time. It's so unique playing with Patrick Kane that that's going to take time. But this top six now is really, really good. Uh, Jake Sanderson was, you know, going through his lumps, what I saw in the first game. But you can see it. Big, fast, strong. I, I liked his hockey IQ coming in. I thought that was a pretty decent pick by Ottawa. I thought he was a better prospect than Drysdale. You know, when you have uh, the goaltending there is still a huge issue. Uh, Forsberg was playing uh, because, you know, you, you trade for Talbot who gets hurt and he got hurt. But still, I, I you have Stutzla, Shane Pint, These the, they're young. Even Dabrinkit is still just 24. And Giroux's 34, which isn't ancient in NHL standards. You want to talk about a guy that's going to be the next David Krejci. There you go. He's, he's younger than I thought he was. I thought he was 46, 47. Yeah, he started, like yeah, he started when he was 18. That's, yeah, that's the thing about some of these guys. It sneaks up on you. Like, even Jeff Skinner's like 31. It's like, I thought this is a guy. Jeff Skinner's 31. Like, I thought he played pre-lockout. That defense is bad, though. It's bad. And Nikita Zaitsev was a scratch the other day. And you still got the the corpse of Travis Hamannick rolling around. I mean, Zub's all right. Shabbat, you know what you're getting. I will say though, Nick Holden, Brandstrom, Nick, Nick Holden. But I will say, when you watch Sanderson and you watch Brandstrom skate, yeah, 
it's like oh, it's like I get it because Brandstrom is Brandstrom is one of those elite skaters. Elite. He was the Mark Stone return, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, he was supposed to be the next big thing. He was the big piece on the the Stone trade that came back and. I mean, last I heard, they were talking about trading him last year. I mean, uh, look, I thought I thought Brandon Montour was the next Chris Letang when he played in the AHL. I'll, I'll say it. So, I mean, you never know how these kids are going to develop, but when you see it, like he he just pops as a skater. Now, whether he can translate that into an all around game and be the kind of guy that they, you know, that Vegas at least thought he was going to be in that he was going to be in that Letang Dowdy mold as an undersized right shot guy who can be effective in all three zones. Yeah, I, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets there. I'd be a little bit surprised if he didn't, but just a little bit. And again, you, you got to find a goaltender for this team too. But again, fun to watch. They got high-end talent up front. They got some good young pieces. And since this is an Arizona podcast, they had a kid who was their fourth-line center who grew up playing for the Junior Coyotes here. So oh, wow. you never know. You never know. I so the, the other thing with Ottawa, which... I think their chemistry is going to be way better this year. It's not often that an owner dying improves a team, but it happened for the prior Cubs. owner. Or no, you for know, the White Sox, Melnick right? Was, for the White Sox, Melnick right? was a real problem. And the Blackhawks. Yeah, that's true. It happened for the Blackhawks. Uh, you're absolutely right about the Blackhawks. And so I think chemistry-wise, that organization is going to be in a much better spot. I mean, it's always possible it can go south on them, depending on you know what happens with whatever the estate running it, you know, the uh, ownership They, they is, might need but... Nikita Zaitsev to pull a Ryan joke Kevin Flavin and retire in the middle of a game. <laughs> that might help him, too. Do, do, you, do you remember when Melnick tried to have a, the, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigate the Eric Carlson injury? <laughs> that sounds like something he would do. Yeah, I think, I think he got his, his he got his Achilles cut by that uh, by a skate blade. And Melnick wanted uh, he wanted the police to to take a look at it and see if it was assault with a a deadly weapon. So, yeah, there there you're at least told no in Canada. Here you'll be it'd be like what's hockey? Yeah, <laughs> depends if the politicians are involved enough. Speaking to, to your point on the Senators, do you see the score of the game right now with the Bruins? No, did it? Did it's, it? It's, did it they jump up? Yeah, it was three nothing cents. It's six then five it was, at the end of two. Oh then, my god! Then it was three to three. Then it was six to three, and now it's six five through two. Yeah. You know, high, high event, high event hockey. Letting the kids <laughs> learn how to play defense the hard way by getting cussed out when the puck goes into the back of your net when you make mistakes. But they're scoring. But they're scoring, and they're fun to watch. No, they're going to score goals this year. That's for certain. Whether they can keep enough out, and whether you know, that's the thing. They're up three nothing. Now they're in a dogfight with Boston. Like these, these are the games that matter. Can you maintain two goal leads? Can you go up three and then end up winning five to two with an empty netter? Because you know that we have to, we have to recommit on defense and make sure we're taking care of our own end first and change some of the way in which we're playing in this game. Not to go into a shell, but understand. I'm the third guy. I need to have the discipline to stay high in the zone, not just try and sneak by the net to get myself an extra point. So as a hockey coach, these are things that I like to say often about, you know, game situations and, you know, know your time, know your score. So we got two more teams left and we'll go back to Florida for the three time defending Eastern champs, the Tampa Bay lightning. I think, Last year seemed to me, and Kevin, you'll know what I'm talking about more than Rob. This was like the 2018 LeBron Cavs when Kyrie was gone and it was like, 
you know, every round they're about ready to be written off, but you know, they, they get, you know, that old core, just like LeBron did in 2018. He just kind of wills them to victory. And I know yeah. that probably hurts because they beat Boston in game seven that year, but that's, is this that year or are they still intact enough where, yeah, they can go again. I mean, look, I'll say yes, because they have Vasilevsky, which is why, you know, the NHL is really different than the NBA is that you can have a stopper like him and you're never out of it. Assuming he stays healthy, which in fairness, he doesn't have a lot of injury history. So I, you know, he's not been one of those guys they couldn't rely on, but if he stays healthy, there's still a contender as far as points, my own guess is they're going to probably put up less than they did last year or fewer points than last year, but still be comfortably above 100 points in, in a playoff position. Hey, and they added Brent Seabrook in the offseason, so there you go. To the front office to, or what? To be on LTIR. <laughs> yeah, they took his cap, his cap hit. Wow. Uh, you know, the one thing that I, I had heard referenced with Tampa that people aren't talking about is Stamkos last year, starting kind of probably last year, but especially in the playoffs, is he's been healthy for the first time in a couple of years and really has been producing. He was a superstar in the playoffs last yeah, year. Yeah, I think I think some people kind of forgot. He's like, hey, I went first for a reason. I got I'm gonna yeah, get to I mean, 500 goals pretty soon. Yeah. He had, he had 60 goals when it was really, I mean, it was when it was, you weren't, no one else was getting there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was him and Ovi. And, 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 you know, once, you know, you'd get a flash in the pan where Malkin would be up there one year. Crosby was up there one year, you know, up over 50, but no, I, no, I think goals are hard to come by then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think what they did this year too was, I think this was the last year of really, we know every year we're going to have to jettison a lot of people. I don't think that's the case anymore. They don't, they don't really have, I mean, you have Sergachev extension and a Chernak extension kicking in, but it's not going to break the bank. It's not going to, you don't it's look at their really roster true. and say, yeah, but you're not looking at their roster and say, all right, who do they got to get, who do they got to get rid of next year? I mean, Sorelli's at four, eight now when he's jumping to six, two, five, which is not, not like the Vasilevsky one where it went up $8 million. You know, Chernak goes from two, nine to five, two. And so it's, and they signed guys like Hagel. They signed guys like Paul, Nick Paul. And, you know, there's always going to be pieces and there are always going to be guys that are looking to go to that team to chase cops like Corey Perry. So it's they they did a good job of really keeping their core intact. And I talked about it with Dan Rosen. I mean, this is the best how you build a baseball team team. They're really good at center. They're really good top two defensemen. They're elite in net. And, and that, you know, last off season, when I talked about that with Rosen. It was, we hit it. We were like, it's going to be Colorado over Tampa, we think for those reasons. So I, are they still the team to beat out of this division, even though they might, they probably won't win the division just because they play nine month hockey and not six month hockey. Yeah. The thing with Vasilevsky is he's getting a lot of miles on him as does the rest of the roster. He's, he's a young guy, but he has a lot, a lot of miles on him. He plays 70 or 80% of the, regular season minutes and 100% of their postseason minutes, which, as you just said, have been going four rounds every single year. So uh, if he, you know, he's a big guy, like you said, no injury history. So he can, he can continue to be elite, but if he does break down there, and I think they're in a lot of trouble because there's no depth behind them at the, in the net. The other thing with Tampa is mentally to do three Stanley cup runs in a row is remarkable. Uh, and I think they're going to have a hard time this year 
just finding that motivation. They didn't have much of it last year, although it, they got 110 points, so they clearly did pretty well. I would be shocked if they make it past the second round this year, but I was shocked they made it to the uh, cup final. I just figured they weren't going to be mentally able to pull it together. Yeah. And, and boy, what, I mean, what accomplishments they've had. I mean, they, when you, when you talk about when their run kind of started, when they go to the finals in 15 against Chicago to now. Yeah. And they, but was, if you remember, uh, they were, what uh, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals a few years before that? That's right, and yeah, with with a younger core there, and no, I mean that's and, and again, Steve Eiserman's fingerprints are all over this team, and the ups the and the downs. Difference between this and Detroit, though, is he had a lot better position to start high, from. With high Tampa. draft picks. You you go Stamkos, yeah. you go Headman, you hit on your goalie in a major way that you take high, and again, Vasilevsky went in the first round. It, it, you know, Spencer, Spencer Knight went in the first round, like the, these things, they still sometimes hit. And so, yeah, I, I still have them penciled in as the team to beat in this division, whether or not in they the playoffs, I would agree. Uh, I the, the regular season. I, I think they'll be, they'll be in a playoff spot, but that's about it. So the big they've question, got a, they've got a good, they probably have the best coach in the league. I mean, I, I can't say I disagree. I, I think, well, we mentioned Barry Trotz. I think he's up there. Is he in the league? Well, I, you talk about best coach. I mean, I think he's taking the year. I, I don't know who. He's not, he's not a, yeah. So, I, the hard question for them is, and we'll put it, we'll put it, we're going to do our predictions at the end here. But how far does this team go this year? As I said, I think second round and. I, I think they just mentally are not going to be able to put it together again. Last year, you could see that there were stretches where they were mentally falling apart in the playoffs, just not, not doing the little things they needed to do. But they would get their act together and pull out a series. I just don't think they're going to be able to do it this year. I have, I have a tough time finding a team that is going to beat them in seven in a seven-game series. I, I just don't think it's anybody else in this division. It's, not, it's clearly not Florida after last year. We, we know what we got there. Uh, Toronto, just hard no. Bruins, man, I mean, they can take him to six, but then they just don't have that extra that extra punch that 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 Tampa does to to win an ugly game. So, so I think that they're put in a playoff playoff series playoff situation. They're they're going to get out through the division, but then in the Metro, I, don't know. I think it's I think it's Carolina. Carolina. I think Carolina's going to win. The Eastern Conference. I got. I think, the Rangers, I think the Rangers are, are better. They're than, there. They're right there yeah. too. They're better than I wish they were. Yeah, I I think it's. You hope that Carolina and New York kind of have a war of attrition to get out of that division when you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I don't know, maybe you can sting one of them. But I think, I think it's borderline Carolina and everybody else in that division, just with the addition of Burns and getting Max Patchy ready and Dylan Coglin, who can play. He's a seven eight guy, but those are. You need, I mean, John Cooper once said, it, you need 30 guys to win the cup. Like you need 30. You need 30 guys who can play to win the cup and to make it through a season. And now he, I think he said it during the bubble, but even so, like, I think that's true. I think you need 25, 26 guys who can play in order to get to the cup. Carolina, Carolina's got a good coach too. They got a good coach too. So let's, let's wrap up then with the Toronto Maple Leafs who just lost at home last night to the Arizona Coyotes. Are you surprised that Toronto is still standing today? Like the city. 
you clearly were not listening to any Toronto radio this morning. No, no, uh, I, 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 that part I could have guessed correctly. I, I literally thought, you know, there might be anarchy in the streets of the T dot. They're ready to burn that city down. Yeah, I mean, when you, I mean, you went all in on Matt Murray. When you're Kyle Dubas, you went all in on Matt Murray because if and he's already hurt, like you don't. And I, the one thing I'll give him credit for is he knows this. Like he made those moves knowing that. Look. I'm not going to be here next year unless we go really deep. I think they got to win two rounds, maybe three for him to keep his job. What was that with Murray? What was the motivation there? I haven't seen a good explanation as to why they have this gaping hole in that. And I certainly don't have one. I, I don't have an answer. I know they let Campbell walk and he obviously went to Edmonton. Uh, and I don't, I'd be lying if I said I had any insight as to whether they, they wanted him, you know, whether it was just, they couldn't reach term or what it was. The rumor was they were looking at Billy Huso, uh, and that they were pretty ticked off when, uh, Eiserman swept in and got him. That would have been a great, that would have been a great pickup for them because at least yep. it's some guy with some upside and maybe there's an element of, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, but you know what you're not going to get is Matt Murray, and that <sighs> is a good thing. So I, I and Murray has been injured and uninspiring in Ottawa, but that was kind of tire fire Ottawa, Eugene Melnick tinkering kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Murray gets his act together. Um, I, I don't. I really liked the signing for Ilya Samsonov. And I, as the backup, because I thought he was a pretty high potential guy, but honestly, I, I didn't pay enough attention to what Washington's been doing the last couple of years. I mean, Washington clearly walked away from him. They, they, they walked away from him in favor of a guy that they had let go in the expansion draft. <laughs> well, that was, and that, and that's Vanacek. And then they get Vanacek back after the goalie yeah, carousel. That's, that's what I mean. And then they let him go again. And so they, they were like, we need, so they had Samsonov and Vanacek two kids they believed in as, as early as a year ago this time, and then completely lost faith in both of them and started over again. Now they started over again with Darcy Kemper and Yarrow Halak. Right. So, I mean, that's not a bad, not a bad way to start over again, but yeah, I mean, boy, you talk about this Toronto team. I mean, so their hard question is assuming they get good goaltending, are they still a team that can win playoff rounds? Multiple. You have you have Austin Matthews, you have Mitch Marner, you have John Tavares, who's probably about eighty percent of his prime, which is still really good. And you have William Nylander, right? You have two you have four you have four forwards in your top six who are essentially all world players. Then you have on the back backside you have Mark Giordano and um Morgan Riley. So when you have six players of that caliber, you can do a lot of things. They cover, they, they patch up a lot of holes, right? Depth is a problem. <laughs> it's, they, they, you know, they're, they're a stars and scrubs team. And they have been for a long time. Yeah. And, I, you know, their scrubs aren't that bad. I mean. No, they're better than they have been in the sure. past. They have Tucson legend, Mr. Roadrunner, Michael Bunting, who... You know, Kevin, just to give you some background. So Michael Bunting is a guy that played a lot of games here when the yeah, AHL team moved here. He was in the AHL to his 25, right? Yeah. And it was, you know, it was, it was a guy I was, it was always like, and Rob knows this too. He went to a lot of games. It was, 
this guy, this guy could be a fourth line guy in the NHL. Like he's a, he's a high energy guy. He'll fight somebody. He's got skill. He's got speed. He's got some finish. Like this guy, this guy could probably get a paycheck being a fourth line guy. But then when you strike it rich and you get, you get put on the top six on this squad and you do those same things again. And look, it's not just, he's not just there by accident. He's not, he's not Jake Gensel, but he's not, you know, a flash in the pan either. Like this guy's a legitimately good player. And uh, a really fun guy got to meet him, you know, being around the players a little bit fun guy. Good guy. I'm just glad he's doing well. I'm glad he's getting paid for it and he's having a lot of fun up there. I, I, I just, you know, like they've had so many chances now and it's, and I, and like I said at the top of the podcast, I think they're worse. So it's like how, how many, how deep do they really expect to go? Like when you're, when you're two, three in that division and you got Tampa in the first round, are you taking out Tampa? You know, are you yeah. taking out Florida? But I will say this, they, they took Tampa to seven last year. It was a really good series. I said it on one of the podcasts in the summer when we were doing a recap. If, if, if you look at that series in isolation and someone told you who's been in a coma for five years, this was the cup from last year, you'd be like, yeah, this was a cup level series. And you had some of those last year with how good the East was and how good the playoffs were in general. So, I mean, yeah, you lose to Tampa in seven. Maybe this is the year. It's just it's hard. To, it's hard to envision that with this kind of goaltending. But you know, you, when you can score like that and score in bunches, they were still doing that in playoffs. Although it failed them in Game Seven when they needed it the most. Like the games they won, they were scoring goals. And then when you get into that Game Seven, though, it's are you, can you win that two to one game? Can you win that one to nothing game in Game Seven? And that's what I worry about with this goaltending and with this team. Yeah, Vasilevsky's very hard to beat in an elimination game. That's true too. You better beat him in six. You don't want you don't want game seven. Yeah. So they're fun. They're they're fun to watch though. If you know if if you want to see a, a, a tremendous offensive hockey, you know moving the puck anyway, they can they can throw it up the ice or they can skate it up the ice. Either way, they're going to get it up there. They're going to get it into the zone. They're going to get it to the middle, and they're going to get it to the net. And this so is if you want to see fundamentals. That's a, that's a team to watch fifty percent of the game. The, Back half, maybe you can skip. Yeah, this is the this is the obligatory time where I talk about when I coached Austin Matthews because when you go to a coaching clinic here in Arizona or you talk to any of these blowhards that wear coaching jackets around the rinks in Phoenix, Austin Matthews had 400 coaches growing up, so no wonder he was so good. And everybody talks about how they coached Austin Matthews, so it's like, hey, look at Austin. Like, yeah, taught him everything he knows. Kid from Scottsdale. Taught him that release? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I did it at five seven, two hundred pounds. He does it at six four, two hundred and twenty pounds. But uh, yeah, taught him everything he knows. No, he's got yeah, two more years on his contract. And and I, I, if you had to, if you worked for one of these sports book companies, what is the money line you put on Austin Matthews being an Arizona Coyote when his contract expires? Plus a thousand. Ooh. I yeah, think it's I highly unlikely. Arizona in two years is not going to be in a contention nope. position. And they they're still going to be playing at ASU. They're still yeah. going to be playing in a box. If 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 he get if they like were to do something wild, I like win back to back rings. I think this is a catch twenty two. So I would put the odds at plus four hundred that he becomes a coyote. So it's much lower because. I think it's a catch-22 if you're Toronto. If he wins, he gets to go home. He won. If he doesn't win, it's 
you know, in two years, they're going to be down his throat in Toronto. Why haven't you won anything? I just, I just don't think there's, uh, you know, maybe if they go to the cup and lose next year or this year, and he feels like this is the core to get me a cup. But again, like this is a kid that, you know, by all accounts from everyone here in Arizona, this is a kid who loves his hometown. He loves Scottsdale. Like he loved the coyotes growing up like that. That's his team. This is something that he can do. Not only can he, he'll never be bigger than the Maple Leafs. He'll be bigger than the Coyotes here. And that's something that, look, I don't think it drives hockey players. I don't think it drives athletes, but you can't discount it either. These are professional athletes. They are egotistical, lots of times in the right way. Like you have to have that belief in yourself that I deserve this. I deserve to be bigger than the Coyotes. Why am I toiling in Toronto where every every fan is ready to turn on me in the drop of a hat where I can go home sign for the absolute cap max for seven years rather than, Hey, why am I hogging all this money when we got to pay these other guys and win in Toronto? Again, not an insignificant number when you can go from making 11 to making 17 or 18 and playing at home and being not only the face of the franchise, but the entire franchise. They're going to, they're going to have a lot of a blank slate too. Right. So he's not, he wouldn't be good trying to shoehorn himself into some team that has no flexibility in terms of the cap and has no young guy. And Toronto's window might be closed. I mean, you still got to pay Tavares for a couple of years. And what, what if, what if he's just done being a top two center for the next three years? Which I think he is. Um, Borderline. There's got to be something attractive to to all the hometown things you said, but also to just saying, look, he's going to be what, 27, 28 when that contract's up. He's still very young. Uh, I have, eight years in my window where it, it can build this team around me and just be the guy who, who, who everything is, is made in your, in your image. Right. And if he thinks that the front office is competent enough, or at least he has, you know, the ear enough that he can make a lot of the decisions. There's good. There's a, it's a different, it's a different mindset in the pressure would not, it would be a different type of pressure than, than you'd see in Toronto. Um, You'd be trying to perform for people who, who you like rather than people who are trying to kill you if you don't perform. I, if I'm Austin Matthews, I'd be looking at the arena situation or, or the rink situation real carefully. There has to be a plan in place for me to even consider coming back to Arizona. Because if it, if yeah, they're still going to be playing at ASU, but if there's a new arena being built, maybe I'd, I'd contemplate it in that scenario if I really wanted to come home. But You know, if I'm Austin Matthews, though, I'd want to be with a contender. And I appreciate the idea of being able to get a max contract, play in front of the home crowd and play with a good young team. But spend your your winners hanging out on ASU's campus. Could be worse. Could be worse. But that being said, I I would want I'd want this franchise to be a lot healthier than it is right now. Yeah, I look everything permeates here from the top down in this state when it comes to hockey. I think it's becoming less so just because it's been so long since the coyotes not only have been relevant, but have seemed like they've had a plan. There's been times where they seem like they had a plan. I talked, I remember talking to the last ownership group guy came down to Tucson. I had a lengthy conversation with him about all the plans. Well, they, I mean, they, they sold the team in two years. It just never came to fruition. And then Morello comes in and it's okay. We're going to do all these things. And then, you know, COVID hits and then his, some of his business practices get exposed. They get beaten up on the athletic every other month. And 
now they're, you know, they get, they don't pay their bills. They get thrown out of Gila river arena. And now they're playing in a place that's smaller than the Tucson convention center for a couple of years. And they're trying to get a build at a place in Tempe where it's going to take hundreds of million dollars by all accounts to just get the ground up to code to start building. So, I mean, this is far from a settled thing. And I mean, I, I would say that the NHL though has an unhealthy relationship with Phoenix. So it, they're, they're going to Thelma and Louise off that cliff together. So at least they're going to have a pro hockey team in the state. I mean, they might be playing here in two years or something like that, but it's a market that just Bettman doesn't want to lose. And it seems like it's almost like it's like a dare now. Like how much how much worse can it get before we finally say enough? But I don't think Bettman's going to say enough because if he was going to say enough, he should have said enough at several points in the past and just tried a new market. So, I mean, I mean, they're going to be here. It's just, you know, it's and they haven't had a home game yet. I, I, I can't I can't remember when their first home game is, but they're still building NHL facilities there to get them ready. I think it's going to be unique. Uh, you know, I think there's pros and cons to it for sure. The pro is you're on the East Valley where you need to be because that's where your hockey base is. It's easier for fans like me. The cons is it's a lot more money to get in that building now. Um, you, you know, you have you might have a college like atmosphere, but you have ASU. They have a D1 team. That's your college atmosphere. The pro with, with atmosphere. a ticket going for. I mean, it's three hundred bucks kind of to get in the building when you're playing a Boston, a Buffalo. Any oh. of your old, any, a Detroit, when the old school teams are coming in, at least that's what I've seen on, so, I haven't looked so, for a little bit, but uh, it's, yeah. it holds 5,000. Like you just, there's yeah. just not a lot of seats in there that are good. And, and so, so it's not, it's not a college atmosphere because it's not home fans that are rooting for it. It's, it's you're competing with road fans. Which you're, is yeah. You're going to compete with road fans in that building, but I, you know, the Arizona's they're trying to build a bigger team. I, I think they're trying to be physical. I think they're trying to, and the one thing, I've said this before on a podcast when, you know, I bring my kids together at the beginning of the year, the young ones, and we play really before we have practice and you try and get them to get to know each other. And you say, say, say who you are, say what's your favorite hockey team. So between my travel teams that are between nine and 12 years old, exactly zero of them said the Arizona Coyotes. Zero. I had more kids say the Kraken and the Knights than the Coyotes. So they, not only do they need a new building, they need kind of a fresh start because from day one, Vegas was putting down grassroots hockey operations. The Coyotes really haven't done that. Yeah, they put their name on something, but they weren't involved like the California teams were where you have the Kings own rinks, the Ducks own rinks. Vegas owns a big rink in that town where the community plays. That never happened with the Coyotes here or even really in Phoenix, even though they've had their name on some buildings. I mean, the city of Phoenix alone probably needs five more sheets. You know, we need our building down here. And it's, they've been, you know, in the Valley now since 1996 and going on year 26, 27, they need to start over again, which is not a position you want to be in. So there's our, there's our, there's our coyote tangent for the day and our, our Arizona hockey talk. No, I want it to get better. I live here. I want this to get better. I want, I want these kids to be able to play more hockey and have a better infrastructure here for them that starts and is aided by the pro team. So, but you, but you said that they're trying to get bigger and stronger. That's what, that's what the team is trying to do well, on the ice. Well, yes. They, they uh, should, they should, they should go the Ottawa route and try to score and give up a million well, goals. Well, it'd be fun to watch. Well, what I say is this, some of the guys they picked up and yeah, they weren't really looking for these guys, but the, the guys they signed and then you, you take a guy like Zach Cashin, big guy, he'll throw, he'll throw fists, you know, in, at the end of the first round, they, they, they go back and they get. Yeah, they take Cooley, but they trade back to get Morgan Geeky, who's a big kid. They they take uh, Maverick, uh, what's his name, Maverick Lamaru, something like that. He's like yeah. six seven, and you know the guys they sign, 
to play defense. They signed Bukestad. They have Lawson Kraus. They have Christian Fisher. I mean, these are big, big bodies that are playing in the league. And it seems like you have their GM is Doug Armstrong, whose brother, Bill Armstrong, or I think I have that backwards. I do have that backwards. Yeah, Doug Armstrong. Doug Armstrong's in St. Louis. His brother's Bill. He's Doug's GM in St. Louis. You know, a team that uh, won the cup a couple years ago by being seemed like they were kind of zigging when everyone was zagging. They had a hot goalie. They had size, especially on the back end with the monsters that played defense there. And so you have Bill doing the same thing here. But again, you have, you know, in a couple years, you have guys like Dylan Gunther, Cooley, Geeky, uh, <laughs> probably not Victor Strodersham yet, but we'll see. So yeah, the future might be brighter in a couple years, and that might be the kind of thing where maybe Austin Matthews is just tired of doing it in Toronto for X number of years without winning and feeling it. And yeah, so I, I, I have the odds as much, much more feasible than you two of him coming back. But having said that to close the loop on Toronto and to go back and finish our previews here uh, again, another team that's really fun to watch. I think this might be the most fun division to watch in the NHL this year because you just have, su- I mean, Look, your Calgary-Edmonton games and watching McDavid every night is just its own experience. Watching McCarr and McKinnon skate and trade the puck with each other in the zone like they're not really playing. They're playing some kind of hybrid sport. It's not hockey the way yeah, anyone's no. ever seen it. Uh, you know, is is but still, like, when you have this division, and it's going to be high-event hockey because you either have really high-end talent and really good established teams, and then you have teams that are playing some kids that have some talent but are going to make some mistakes. So... Let's uh, we'll we'll close out the podcast here by going through, and we'll talk about where we have everybody ranked starting at the bottom. So we already said we have Montreal eight. Who do you have at seven, Kevin? I'll start with you. Sorry, I think it's the Sabers. Rob, same. All right, I'm I'm gonna pick the Detroit Red Wings for seven. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna outright say I'm I'm just gonna Buffalo Homer this. For for really no said the Bruins. for really no reason no I can't put them that low although I'd like to I just uh you I, you know what I, I'll probably make I like to make outrageous picks just to royal my guests a little bit so but that's a little bit of a spoiler all right let's go to six uh, Senators the same I have Ottawa at six oh so no that's the Red Wings Homer in me expecting them the Wings to just Barely eke out ahead of Ottawa. Well, hey, you know, Dan Rosen from NHL Network, he's on that bandwagon, Rob. He thinks the Red Wings are going to the playoffs. And I asked him about he it. He also said that we're going to trade for Patrick Kane, which, for the love of God, I hope we do not do. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> you you might as well throw it out there. He's got to go somewhere. He's going to go somewhere. He can't go there. Yeah. Uh, well, he's got yeah, go, to go somewhere. That's... To trade assets. Look, he's got to go. We're not good enough. Yeah, I said Dallas. I, I thought Dallas, if they stay in the hunt, would find some money for him. But that's the thing. You got to find some money for him, even with a reduced salary. And Detroit's a team that can be in the hunt and can have the cap to actually take him on. So not not the craziest thing I've ever heard. But the uh, Chicago to Detroit thing, though, you can't. I'll, I'll pick. Uh, Chris I'll, Chelios did it. I'll pick I'll pick Ottawa at six. And you're right. Chris Chelios did do it. So I'll, directly, directly. Or was he? Did he, have a stop he was traded. Him? He was traded. Oh, all right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put I'll put Ottawa at six. All right, so let's go five. That's where I'm going with Detroit. It's boring. It's a boring pick, but I'm going Detroit there. 
And Kevin and I have the same bottom four. I had Detroit as well at five. All right. And so you must be going with Ottawa there. I'm going to put the Toronto Maple Leafs at five. Ooh, Ooh spicy. Just, you know, they're going to be a regular season team that gets counterpunched as much as they throw now with goaltending. And I think, you know, you see it in Carolina. Freddie Anderson, he took a lot of heat in Toronto, and then it was completely unjustified after just one year. It's just a different brand of hockey, and they don't have Freddie Anderson. They don't have Jack Campbell. They got AHL guys and really, really unproven NHL goaltenders. And it always it just feels good to pick Toronto out of the playoffs. So yeah, Toronto at five. All right, who's it? All right, who's in? Who's at four? We're just talking regular season point totals, right? Correct. Uh, Tampa Bay. I'm going with. I just think they're, I think they're going to sleepwalk through the regular season and um, and and then turn you know light the burners when they get to the playoffs. Rob, I oh good. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're up. I was going to say I had Boston there, but I could flip Boston and Tampa for that three four slot. I don't know which one's going to get there. I Boston's lineup is a lot older and gives me more concern about the uh, injury bug. Tampa is one of those. They're just mentally spent. So they're probably going to sleepwalk through the season. Like Kevin said. Yeah, I'm going to pick. I guess I'll do it. I'll put Buffalo at four. I got to, I, I, I've, I've held him back for this long. I'm putting him in the playoffs. I like for, it a for, lot. For real, no reason. You know, well, no, I've told people this year, this is this is the Thelma and Louise season for Buffalo sports for me. The Bills are winning the Super Bowl and the Sabres are winning the, are going to the playoffs. So if I got to ride that off the cliff into hell, I'll do it. So Bills for the Super Bowl, Sabres into the playoffs at four. Eric Comrie could be the next Dominic Hodge. Look, they're, 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 you know, their goaltending's got to stay healthy. When they had healthy goaltending last year, they were okay. They got kids who can score. Uh, I like the team chemistry. I like their depth. You know, Paterka, I think, is a superstar in the making, and he's already starting to show. I mean, when I saw him play with Dylan Cousins, the kind of speed those two bring on the wing and how they play together was exactly why I wanted them to play together, and they're only going to get better. I, Darlene's going to dump truck points in. You know, they're, they're, they're going to kind of be a Toronto team from a couple years ago where, they made the playoffs just by running and gunning. Now, Toronto had an easier road to hoe because the division wasn't that good back then. But again, this is an irrational playoff pick, so I don't know why I'm explaining it so much because they probably finished 7th or 8th. And they're probably in the Bedard sweepstakes, which is fine, which is fine. But again, yeah, I'm 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 going off the cliff with the Buffalo teams this year. So it's they're either going to win stuff or, I don't know, I'm going to start a chess podcast or something next year. I don't know. So... It's your show. You you can pick the Sabres. To do That's true. Josh, Josh Allen's going to be, um, they're going to teach him how to skate and he's going to be a big shot right defenseman for us post NFL season. So he probably could. He was at the game the other day with an Alex Tuck jersey on and the place just erupted. Like they showed, they showed the bills that are sitting in the box and he's got a Tuck jersey on and the whole place just ignites. So it probably fit him perfectly, even though uh, Tuck wears it with shoulder pads and he's a big boy himself. Yeah, those, those those are some large humans. All right, uh, did I get did I get number four out of you two? Are we on three? All right, we're on three. Go ahead. I am going to go with Toronto. Rob, I have Tampa at three. Like I said, three and four. Take your pick, Tampa or Boston. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I'll go, I'll go Boston at three. Um, I, I think they're, they have the nucleus back from a very good team, even though they kind of got exposed by Carolina a little bit last year. But again, it's because Carolina is really good. So I, I'll, I'll put Boston at three. All right, so we have two spots left. So who's your one and who's your two? Kevin, go ahead. Um, going with the Bruins at two, just because, you know, homer, homerism. And, and I, I think that there's something there, even though they're losing seven to five to, to Ottawa right now. Uh, and then Florida with, at number one. I had Florida at one and Toronto at two. So my top four is the exact same as last year, uh, which is not terribly exciting. Ultimately, I look at Florida and I'm like, eh, they probably got more talent, at least regular season wise, and they're still motivated. So I assume they'll pull it out. Toronto could easily be one if they could get their goaltending straight. But, you know, as we just bashed, spent about 10 minutes bashing their goaltending, I don't think that's going to happen. So, uh, I just think that talent is going to win out in, in Toronto enough that they're going to, you know, uh, surpass Tampa and Boston. You know what? I wish I, I really want to change my pick because I already put Toronto out of the playoffs and it felt really good. I, I feel like I want to swap Ottawa and Boston, although I really don't like Ottawa. So I can, I'm going to, I'm going to put Ottawa three and Boston at six. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. At I'll, six, I like it. <laughs> I just, I, I don't like, I hate Ottawa too. Like I really do. I hate them. Like Alfredson got to do whatever he wanted in the playoffs. He got, he got the Peter Forsberg kid gloves. They never called him for slashing or anything. I, I really don't have a lot of love for Ottawa, even though I like the, the young kids they got. So no, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Florida one and Tampa two. I, I just think Vas- Vasilevsky wins 40. I mean, he basically wins 40 games every year. It's you could set your watch to it. So they're, I mean, they're going to be there. I just think Florida, again, a team with really good depth and showed last year that every night, they're really tough to play against. It doesn't mean they're going to win in the playoffs, but it means they're going to dump truck a lot of points in the regular season like they did last year. I mean, they they still have that nucleus back, and with a Kachuk brother having to play every night, it's just, you know, you're going to do a Tampa swing. The building's dead. Nobody goes to games, and it's just, it's. I think it's just hard for opposing teams to get up, especially now that you got a Kachuk brother playing against you. So there we go. So again, we said at the top of the podcast, we still think this is a four-team playoff division. So you got four from the Met. You got four from the Atlantic. Go ahead. Give me who comes out of the East and your Stanley Cup winners since uh, we'll do that and wrap up the podcast here. Is again, we're, we're past 140, so we've now taken the time it takes to drive up to one of these Phoenix rinks again, which was the whole purpose of this podcast in the first place. <laughs> uh, since I was going first, I'll go first again. Uh, coming out of the East, I'm going to go with Carolina. Uh, but winning it all, I'm going to go with the Vegas Knights. I think Bruce Cassidy. I think Bruce Cassidy gets a ring. I think the Jack Eichel gets a ring. Um, that's another team. If they can get a little bit of goaltending, uh, they're going to be really fun to watch and really, really dangerous. That's bold. I, I like it though. I like Look, it a lot too. Yeah, I, I think I picked them to. I, well, I picked them and still in the playoffs, but I tried to talk myself out of it. But they're just too. They're too good as long as they're. I think. I mean, DeBoer, DeBoer is, is not all right. He's all right. But like the downgrade that they had, obviously they were in cap hell. But, you know, the we talked maybe too much about coaching here. But, you know, they went Gallant, who was, who was really good, to DeBoer. For some reason they dumped. They, they wanted to make that move. It didn't, it didn't work. And now I watched Bruce Cassidy for, I don't even know, eight years. And 
he gets he gets a lot out of his guys. Um, sometimes it's a little bit frustrating. Like I said, doesn't really develop guys, but they have their squad and those guys, those their, their players are what they are, and he's going to get a lot out of them. They're going to be disciplined, um, and they're going to he's going to maximize their potential. And he's going to hide some of the flaws and deep on the in the net because they're going to be so structured and so disciplined in the back end. All right, Rob. I think Carolina's coming out of the East also. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if New York did it. I'm not as convinced Gallant's going to be able to do the same thing two years in a row. His message usually starts to get old after about the second year. So um, out of the West, whew, certainly Vegas was a good call. Colorado, I have a hard time believing they're going to put it back to do it in back-to-back years, and I don't trust their goaltending. Of course, I didn't trust their goaltending last year, and so they did it anyways. Um, but I think they're not going to have that motivation, uh, the same motivation. I think Edmonton is going to be a player, and, you know, what the heck, I'll say Edmonton comes out of the West, that Connor McDavid just goes full-on beast mode in the playoffs and just wills them to the cup final, where they will lose in five games to uh, – Carolina. It's called six. I got Colorado over Carolina. Uh, probably in six. I'll say Carolina, Colorado over Carolina in six. All back to back. I mean, hey, you know, I, yeah, goaltending aside, but yeah, like Rob said, it's not like they got great goaltending last year either in the playoffs and they were still fine. All right. So we, we're about to hit the 145 mark, but the Atlantic Division podcast is in. We got one more division left to do, and we'll do that on the next episode. Kevin Flavin, Rob Felrath, two dear old lawyer friends of mine. And uh, Kevin, maybe on the next podcast, we'll talk about when we retired in the middle of the game. We'll give it a whole podcast. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take an entire podcast to run that one back. Yeah, you gotta, was, uh, you got to break that one down like 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 a crime podcast. we got to go yeah, step by step Pruder, on that. This is a Pruder film. of. Uh, yeah, there's so many moving parts there. <laughs> and then Rob Felrath, hey, We already got hockey started. I'm glad it's back. It's going to be a fun season. So thank you both for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Yeah, we'll wrap up episode 27 there. And as always, we're brought to you by Danny Plattner and Altitude Home Loans. They're an equal housing lender. And we'll see you next time on the Tucson Hockey Podcast.